0: You know, once we come to faith, we begin walking with God, and he's changing us from the inside out, and, and we have a different perspective of disobedience. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin, but there's a time in our calendar that we encourage people to literally take 40 Days and ask hard questions. Maybe even questions on songs that you might be singing as Brendan walked us through some of the words we're singing. Maybe there's some blind spots. Maybe you just ask the question this, Lord, when have I repented of anything? Now, granted, as you walk with the Lord, perhaps there'll be less of that. But realistically, we all have an opportunity for some days ahead of the cross and, of course, the resurrection, to be able to focus on some of the habits we may have developed, on some of the blind spots, and to be able to come into a season where we would be able to embrace and understand the cross. It's not a time of performing, it's not a time of trying to give up something so you're holy. Although, maybe in this journey, you give up some things in order to gain something better. Oh, <laughs> that's the secret. Hey, before we open the book, before we jump into Acts, let's pray. Let's pray. Almighty God, creator, sustainer, all-powerful Father, your are Lord. You are compassionate and a gracious God and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love and you are faithful. We today, Father, as your people, those you call your sons and your daughters, we come before you boldly. We come into your presence boldly, at least in theory. We know that our selfishness separates us But, Father, we pray that we would be a people to quickly repent. We acknowledge our sin, our rebellion, our arrogance, just the mindset that we can do life without you. Have mercy on us, Father, for your name's sake. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And may we never forget, may I never forget that you are the just judge. You are the one that sees all things. You see my thoughts. You see my words. You recognize my attitudes. Strengthen us, Lord, so we may cling to you better, more often, even continually. Impress in my mind the shortness of time the work to be engaged in, and the resources that you have given me, you've given us to share. Help me understand and embrace your plan of making me more like Jesus. May all of us enthusiastically obey your word so that your perfect chisel can chip away all the things that bring you dishonor in our life. May doing your will become the passion of my life, of our church. Give me courage, Father, to tell your story of grace in my life, your story of transformation, your story of taking me, a dead person, to someone alive and having the Holy Spirit live in me. We know there's forgiveness because of your shed blood, but don't let this don't let this magnificent story ever get old. We gather here to worship you, to celebrate you. We are dependent on you, Father. We're dependent on you for everything. There is a fullness of joy in your presence. Lord, we look around and we are troubled. We are not worried, but but God, there are some things that just don't seem right. We pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the laws that are to be passed. We pray, Father, for your church, specifically today today. Grace Point, Chain of Lakes, and Orchard. All churches in our area, Father, all churches proclaiming your word, all churches with sheep and congregations that desire to follow you, use this army to be able to proclaim your grace among the nations. We pray for our church, Lord. We pray that you would do an unbelievable work. We pray that your word would not just be taught today or our worship would just be words. We pray, dear Father, that your spirit would be so absolutely active in each one of us that we would be convicted and encouraged and strengthened and empowered. Lord, there is no doubt that there is evidence When your spirit lives in each one of us. May it be, Father. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 9. But before we get into it, let me again... Open up with the scenario. (laughs) Weeks ago, we opened up Acts chapter 1, and we saw there were 120 believers who were waiting for the Spirit of God to come. That was Jesus' instructions. But no one, as we saw, could have imagined what was going to happen on that day. There was a violent wind before flames of fire literally descended on all the believers in that room. After that, they began to proclaim the message of the gospel boldly. And there were thousands of people that came to faith, thousands of people that heard about the Messiah, that put together that Jesus loved the world. He died on the cross, and he paid our debt for sin so that we might be able to have the Holy Spirit live in each one of us, and that we might be able to represent him wherever we are, and that someday, someday, as again, Brendan shared, that we will shut our eyes, and it will be a moment, and we will spend eternity with god then we read in acts chapter 2 verse 42 that community happened just naturally these believers got together and there was teaching there was fellowship and there were meals and they focused around prayer and again some of us think those are check boxes well okay I, I, I need to teach, I, I, I need to have fellowship and accountability I, I need to eat a meal and I need to pray and boom, there's the church these are marks of the church but more or less these are marks of someone that walks with God that it is just a natural thing you are thirsty and hungry to be fed You desire deeply to walk along with other believers and encourage them and help them on the journey. You love spending time together with them so that you can do life together. And you are so dependent on God. So you're praying for each other and for your neighbors, and for you just fill in the blanks. You're just talking to God all the time. And this is what happened in this early church. It was contagious. It was something that God was using. Then the enemy. (laughs) The enemy was most active early on. But God's plan couldn't be thwarted. Hypocrisy and dishonesty came to light, and these sins were judged. Conflict arose within the ranks, but there was resolution, and the church kept advancing. Nothing could stop it, even persecution, persecution that began to mount outside the walls of the church. And we read about Stephen standing up and proclaiming God's word and being stoned to death for his faith. We also read this guy Saul. (laughs) He was an enemy of the church, and he ramped it up, trying to put Christians in prison and destroy the church. That was literally his passion. With another deacon in this persecution, listened to God and literally left Jerusalem and went to a despised people where there was a revival. (laughs) No one could have pictured this. And then he met with a foreign official in another part of the world. And they ended up just going up the coastline of Israel proclaiming God's word. So the word was going out; the gospel was spreading. People were coming to faith. And then, if you're with us last week, it doesn't get more shocking, folks. We've read these stories; we see these stories. But if you put it in the context, you're going, "No, this cannot happen." The number one enemy of the church, Saul, the super creep, he gets saved? Come on! He's the last guy, remember? You have your list of people that might come to Jesus. Paul isn't even on your list! He is so far. Go like, oh, no, no, this is not going to happen. But God, He not only meets Saul, He transforms Saul, and then Saul isn't this kind of casual Christian. He starts proclaiming the gospel everywhere. This guy ends up writing over half the New Testament. Yes. The worst of the worst. He showed us the transforming work of the Spirit. That should absolutely inspire each one of you. Now again, you may be the worst of the worst. I I don't know. Me too. But see, that's inspiring. How cool is that? That God used Paul. I think last week we were reminded again that following Jesus means service and suffering. That that we are saved in order to be on mission with God. But as you are, things will get rough. And I loved that. I don't know how many of your small groups went this direction. But I loved how Saul's coming to faith actually modeled for us how to make disciples. Well, Rick, you know what? I led this person to the Lord. How do I help them? Just go back to Acts chapter 9. Paul got saved. Paul spent some time with Ananias. Paul then got connected in a community. Paul went away and got some training. Paul came back and absolutely rocked the world. And he started making disciples all over. How cool. Now this week, (laughs) I know, you're pretty excited. You know, I I get it. This week, miracles are going to abound. And people are going to continually respond to the gospel. To this message And it wasn't just a message that was just taught on a Sunday. It was a message that absolutely was taught all the time. Let's look. Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 31. You can follow along in your Bibles or behind me on the screen. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Meanwhile, dun, 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 dun. Oh, no. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place. And he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydia. There he met a man named uh, Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydia and Sharon, which is a region, saw Ananias walking around, and they all turned to the Lord. The church had peace. It was growing stronger. And in just verse 31, just in a very short blurb, Dr. Luke, who's given us this history, puts it in perspective. These folks were living in the fear of God. You're going to hear over and over in the book of Acts on how God's fear was a motivator. The folks in the early church didn't take God lightly. They weren't casual about his word, his working. And when God said something, they seemed to believe it. They spend time listening and obeying and sharing and serving. I just don't get the sense that there was a lot of casual when they thought of God. We also find out that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I think the Holy Spirit scares us. I think sometimes even as we think about God living in us, oh, whoa, I don't want Dad. He's not going to like what I watch. He's not going to like what I do. He's not going to like. And and we start getting a little antsy, you know. In fact, if some of us could just kind of get him a hotel room for a little bit, then, you know, we can kind of live our lives any way that we want it, and boom, it would be much better. But the truth is, so many of us know that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we don't give a hoot. (laughs) We don't. He said, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing anyway. And eventually, hey, if I really cross the line, boom, I'll get zapped. Uh, That's kind of a poor way to be able to think of this whole wonderful thing of God living in us. But these folks, they were growing, they were intimate with God, they were encouraged by having the Holy Spirit live in them. So when there was a prompting, or when there was a nudge, or when there was something that was wrong in their life, or when they were doing something right, there was an attaboy, boy, go for it, you're doing well. How cool is that? Then we get to this place. The church is moving. The church is growing. There's a good thing happening. And we get to verse 32 and we see, Meanwhile, Meanwhile, Peter was traveling about encouraging the church. Actually, Peter's role changes just a little bit here. Remember, he was the mighty preacher. Remember, he was one of the cogs in the Jerusalem church. But somehow God again directed him. It said, hey, I'd like you to go a few miles, well, uh, away from Jerusalem. I'd like you to go to the church in Lydia. Now, I don't know, again, if Peter was a little resistant, if Peter was excited to maybe leave the action in Jerusalem. But we do know this. He listened. And he ended up in Lydia. And he met a paralyzed man named... I uh, oh man I ah uh, I, uh, a Aeneas 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 Why did my mind just go on this one Aeneas All right Let's all say it Help me out Aeneas Thank you You should be up here All right Aeneas. He met Aeneas, and he healed him completely. It says he was eight years as a paralytic. I'm not exactly sure all that was involved there, but I know this. There was little hope in the century. Little hope. He would absolutely exist in exactly the same way. In that culture, you were looked down upon if you couldn't contribute to the culture. So really, in some ways, he was thought of as a pain in the neck. Eight years of existing. But Peter came. And Aeneas, he was healed immediately. doesn't tell us much more about it. But I think this. I believe this was an advertisement of the freedom and the empowerment that comes from following Jesus. I don't know if Peter healed any others. I don't know if he was the only one. But if you look at his life, it was a perfect illustration of saying when Jesus comes into your life, there's fulfillment. There's joy. The risen Christ enabled the paralyzed Ananias to arise, leaving his past life behind. Now, what was really cool here is that everyone, the scriptures tell us in that region, all those that saw Ananias walking around turned to the Lord. Basically, Peter's message was was authentic. Uh, was validated by the miracle. Luke uses the phrase, turn to the Lord, to mean that they became followers of Jesus. This clearly meant that believing and being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit was part of it. In fact, turning to means turning away from self, from stuff. From success for life, he turned to the Lord as Savior. And what a beautiful picture. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Another amazing thing happens. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydia. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him upstairs, uh, took, took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes that Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her a hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. Verse 42. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Tabitha. I'm going to call her Tabitha because I like it better than Dorcas. But either one would work, okay? Tabitha, she lives in Joppa. We don't know a whole lot about her, but we know this. She was a believer. And like today, believers who walk with God, they stick out. The biggest way they stick out is that they change from being selfish to being others-focused. So her reputation was easy. She was a kind person, and she was kind to everybody. And not only that, she helped the poor. Now what we read helps us understand a little bit how important she was to this church to this fellowship her death would devastate the church so as soon as she died folks well heard about peter they knew he was in a town very close maybe even the miracle of the paralytic had gotten to them anyway we know is that they sent some men right away to go get peter Now what you may not understand is that realistically all the folks in the church at Joppa um, thought for sure that Peter was going to do some kind of a miracle in the name of Jesus. The only reason we know this is that usually when somebody would die in the first century, they would be immediately, immediately buried. Or, Or let me put it this way. Rather than burying her immediately, as would be in keeping with all the Jewish customs, her friends just cleansed her corpse and put the body in a place where actual people lived. Now, that wouldn't be done back then in the first century. Deliberately placing a dead body where people sleep or eat just didn't happen. So Peter arrives, and he goes up the stairs. The room is filled with widows. They're all crying. They all have bits of clothing that Tabitha had made for them. And there was Tabitha's body. Peter immediately saw Tabitha's impact. And let me again just remind you that the widows of the church... Understood that without Tabitha, they might not be taken care of. You see, the church's responsibility, as it is today, but even more so back then, was to take care of widows, and it was obeyed seriously in the church see back then, employment opportunities or social security or other social services, they they didn't exist. So all the widows in a church, they were severely limited. Especially if they didn't have a family. Families were supposed to take care of the widows, but if they outlived their family or their family wasn't there, oftentimes they were left destitute and they would probably die. Tabitha's death was a serious blow to these widows. So Peter, again, as I mentioned, saw firsthand how loved Tabitha was and what a loss her death was for the church at Joppa. So what does Peter do? He clears the room of all these grieving widows, and he prays. The scripture says he drops to his knees and he prays. Peter's actions show his total dependence on God. He fell in submission to God. Peter knew the only way this lady would breathe again is if God chose to do this. There, there was nothing he could do, nothing. Peter's selfless humility stands, I think, in sharp contrast to many in ministry today who seek their own fame instead of seeking to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ now let me also remind you that while Jesus was walking on this planet Jesus did all kinds of miracles but there was one miracle that I think Peter especially remembered and many of you know the story it's found in Mark chapter 5 or Luke chapter 8 when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead And and the reason I think this had an effect on Peter, because he was there, he used the exact same verbiage as Jesus used. When Jesus cleared the room, he looked at that little girl, and he basically said, little girl, arise. And those were the same words that Peter used. Not not little girl this time. But Peter's command was, Tabitha, arise. And she did. (laughs) Prayer. Prayer is essential to all successful ministry. It always acknowledges dependence on God. In fact, again, once again, you can just ask yourself, how dependent are you on God? And most of us say, oh, I'm, I'm prayer dependent. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I trust him for everything. Well, you could ask another question. How often do you pray? Do you talk to God? So, well, you know what? I'm pretty good at the meal thing. I'm pretty good as a policeman pulls me over. I'm a good prayer then, you know. And you just keep adding up. So, but, but realistically, you'll find out how dependent you are on God by how often you talk to God. Peter knew he had to talk with God. He had learned the importance of prayer from his Lord, having seen him do it many, many, many times. In fact, later on, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, and he's writing about prayer, and he says this, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to his power that works in us. Most of the time, we forget that prayer will allow God somehow to be able to work in ways that we would never even imagine. Now what's really cool here is that the news of Tabitha's resurrection spreads and many believe again. Tabitha's reputation was out there. Folks knew about Tabitha. They also knew that Tabitha had died and that there was an apostle named Peter And he came. He prayed, and God breathed life into Tabitha. They heard, and they responded. At least many responded to that message. The message is exactly the same today: is that Jesus is the giver of life. So many times we again poo-poo our own story. But our own story, those who have come to faith, is an amazing story. It's a story that we ought to be telling over and over and over again. There was once I was separated from God. There was once I was dead spiritually. There was once I had no connection with God. I met Jesus. I trusted him as my Savior. He paid my debt for my sin, and I became alive. I am infused with the Holy Spirit. That is a story of life, it makes you a new creation it makes you a person that's able to be able to proclaim God's amazing life-giving promises to everyone Then the scriptures tell us that Peter stayed a long time in Joppa with Simon the tanner Now let's look at these two miracles I think it's important, especially as we look in the book of Acts to recognize, wow, there's some amazing things that are happening. Does that mean if I know of someone who dies all I need to do is get people out of the room, get down on my knees and pray, and whoa, life will return. Let's look. Let's see a little bit and try to understand why God did miracles. Now, let me put this a little bit in perspective. Even though miracles appear common in the Bible, miracles are, in fact, extremely rare in history. The majority of the miracles recorded in the Bible are limited to four relatively short, extremely remarkable eras, time periods, okay? These times where God was exceptionally active were critical times in history when God was making a bold statement about his person, his message, and his plans. The very first time that God's miraculous works kind of exploded on the scene came a creation where God's words created out of nothing our world and mankind. The second explosion of miracles happened during the time of Exodus, the wanderings and the conquest of the promised land. God was showing his people his power, his authority, his love. He was doing something fresh, something new. A third wave of miracles happened during the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha. God sent these two prophets at a key time to turn Israel from idolatry and used miracles to validate their messages as divine, coming from God. And lastly, the last wave of miracles happened during the foundational ministries of Christ and the apostles. Now let me again say as we go a little deeper here, I am not saying that God never worked in any other times. But overall, in all of history, God was exceptionally active during these four times. These four kind of eras. All right? When Christ was here, he ushered in the kingdom and fulfilled the prophecies of the coming Messiah through his many miracles. God then produced miracles through his apostles to validate the gospel message of Jesus Christ. During what we would call the apostolic era, the time between the Lord's ascension and the death of John, the last of the living apostles, the Holy Spirit gave preachers miraculous abilities. He did. God did this to validate that message of the gospel is the message from God. So miracles, they had a legitimate role as, well, acts of God that validated the gospel witness and as encouragements to faith to those who have eyes to hear and ears, now eyes to see and ears to hear. You do know that every time God did a miracle, every time Jesus himself did a miracle, then not everybody believed. And you would find that, whoa, that seems odd. But again, those who had eyes to see and ears to hear heard. The miracle was an undeniable display of divine power to draw everyone's attention to God and to validate the activity And the message. Now, there is some debate here. But where I want you to know is that I personally believe the Scriptures reveal that the time for God using miracles to validate His message ended with the Apostles. Now today, preachers, or each one of us today, have the living, breathing word of God and no longer need miracles to validate its life-changing power. Let me say this, because some of you say, well, wait, I, I think God still does work, and, and I, I know of some miracles, but let me try to, to clarify God continues to work supernaturally in the world. There's no doubt in my mind. But there's a difference between supernatural and miraculous. You see, God is the God of miracles. One who clearly and continues to work supernaturally today, bringing glory to himself. I personally will never forget, well, the time I spent in Good Shepherd Hospital. It happened a few years back when, right after Thanksgiving, we got a frantic call from my daughter. Her husband, his heart stopped, rushed to a hospital They had doctors, they had nurses, they had all the technicians around him and and saw that maybe, maybe if they could lower his body temperature and maybe bring him back in a right way that, that maybe he could recover. So they did that along with all kinds of meds and all kinds of other, I guess medical equipment but I remember the day as I walked early into his room it's a few days after this happened and it was the day that they were going to warm him up to bring him back to a place to see if he would respond to see if his brain would function, to see if he'd be okay. And it was early. But I walked in, and my daughter didn't know I was there. And she was looking at Scott with all the stuff, holding his hand, and singing. She was singing... I believe in you. I believe in you. You are a God of miracles. And unless you touch my Scott, I'm not going to see him to glory. forget that you can understand but I just cried out to God God I know Your will you don't know us the thing I don't know if you have plans for Scott but God please I ask you would you be merciful would you do a miracle miracle for a while and God chose at this time to use doctors and medicine and therapy to be able to give Scott breath and strength It wasn't done some supernatural way that I might be able to stand up and validate God's special revelation. God just chose to work supernaturally. And the truth is I've seen a lot of times where God said I'm not going to Here, And the same folks begging and the same folks asking God to work supernaturally. But the good thing is that God knows. God always knows what's best. And he's always working. He is. And we can give God glory whether he gives breath, And that's our hope. You know, there's some things that just stick out to me, and and I'm going to move through it pretty quickly. But one of the things I just noticed is that Peter is growing. He's learning to get out of his comfort zone. He's going to places like Lydia and Joppa, he's being forced to kneel in front of a corpse. know if he had any guarantees for anything he just kept listening to God and God kept using him and that was encouraging I saw that God is a God in the business of restoration God desires deeply to make people whole spiritually and eventually when we see him physically you know I see prayer is critical Honestly, I, I don't understand how casual we are about prayer. I, I don't. I'm not here trying to even build up a program or this or that, but, but there are so many times that we meet as a church to pray. And honestly, I, I don't know why this place isn't filled. I don't. We are so dependent on God. We can't move without God. We can't do ministry without God. No matter how talented. You know, I love this story, and and I want to share it with you. There are five young college students that made their way to London to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach. If you've been around here much, you, you know he's kind of one of my favorite preachers. They arrived early at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And this was, of course, in London. And they found the doors still locked. While they were waiting on the steps, a man approached them. And he just said, would you like to see the heating apparatus of the church? And the students looked around and said, well, that wasn't really what I came for. But man, it's got to be a little warmer inside. Let's go on in and go. So he led them into the building and down a long flight of stairs and into a hallway. At the end of the hallway, he opened a door into a large room filled with 700 people praying on their knees. That said the guide, who by the way was Spurgeon, is the heating apparatus of our church. At that time, there were multiple services. His church would hold about five to six thousand people, and during his services, 700 people were on their knees. And you wonder, bastard, for 38 years, he spoke 3,600 sermons, he wrote 49 commentaries. And his church changed an island between 1850 and 1890. Why? He's a good preacher. I don't think so. I don't. I think he was a good preacher. But they believed from the core of their being that on their knees it made a difference Peter knew he couldn't do squat he went on his knees Tabitha, life and I don't know I don't know what God is calling this church to do where it's going to go but I know this That if we don't pray, we're dependent on all the slickness and coolness and pizzazz of people. I'm sorry, we're in trouble. (laughs) We just are. We need Jesus. This church was devoted, devoted, not casually went to, but it was devoted to teaching and fellowship and meals and prayer. And God was at work supernaturally. Today, God is at work. I know people whose lives are changed. I know neighborhoods. I know that people are literally having food to eat as a result. But these aren't miracles of affirmation for a message. These are miracles of grace where God is changing lives every single day. Do you realize? Do you realize the task is unfinished? Do you realize the Holy Spirit lives in you for a reason? Do you realize that he has empowered the church to be his hands and his feet? Do you realize that? And do you realize that 120 people changed the world 2,000 years ago? That's not many more than what's sitting in here today. The adventure continues next week as we continue to open up backs. But let me warn you put your seatbelts on. Because what happens in this church goes crazy. Why? They feared God and walked with Him. Let's pray. God, You're an amazing God. We know that. We know You work. We know You are powerful. We know, dear God, that we need You. We need to be less casual toward our sin. We need to trust you more when you say something. We need to listen to you in every area. God, change us. Change our neighborhood. Change our church. Father, change us. We pray this in your son's name, amen.